Good morning, church family. Yeah, I'm excited um, to preach this message, and you'll be excited because it's shorter than usual. So, um, I am so thankful that our brother Joyson is here today. Um, thankful that uh, that he got to spend some time with us and spend some time with Dave and Mary. And um, I need to apologize to you guys for a change of plans because I was going to finish out the book of Jude, but it seemed that the Lord was leading in a different direction for this week because of our esteemed guest. And so, um, while the kids are finding there's there's ten bingo pictures hidden in this next slide, so if any of you kids are looking, do go for it. Um, I want to explain where we're going in the scripture today. So please turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 7 today. 2 Kings chapter 7. You know, the, the story is told of a minister who got a job at a new church, and then the first Sunday there, everybody was excited, and he preached a sermon on outreach and evangelism, and it was loved by all. And everyone in the church just beamed, and they shook his hand on the way out the door saying, good word, preacher. And then a week later, same crowd showed up again with bated breath. This time they were surprised to hear the same message, basically word for word. And a few of them still forced to smile on the way out the door, but they whispered to each other out in the parking lot, wondering if he was lazy or if he was just really forgetful. But the next week was the last straw, when the same crowd returned to hear precisely the same message once again. And finally, a couple of the congregation stood up at the end of the of the, the worship service and said, Pastor, we hired you to preach, but not give the same message every week. What gives? And he looked around at the same familiar faces, raised an eyebrow and said, I've been preaching on outreach and evangelism. When y'all start doing it, I'll change the message. <laughs> That'll preach, won't it? You know, most of the time, of course, it's, it's good not to recycle messages, but several years back, I heard from a missionary named Chuck Topp, and he, he preached a sermon on 2 Kings 7. I, don't, I really don't remember that much about it, but I remember how it, just what stood out beautifully is how this passage highlights the context of evangelism and the human tendency towards selfishness. And so later, it was actually my first few months as the pastor here at Crossroad, I preached a similar message from this text. And here's why I'm telling you this, because most of y'all were not here six years ago, okay? And the folks who probably were don't remember, but I, I want to say for the record, this is... The same text and the same topic, it is not the same message, okay? Just in case anybody remembers, because as your pastor, I believe the Lord has called me to preach a new message each week that I'm in this pulpit, okay? Because proclaiming his word is my primary duty to you. And so uh, other than just a couple of minutes revisiting that, that old message last Monday, this has been a collaboration with the Holy Spirit, and I believe he has been plowing the soil for you guys to receive the seeds that are planted. So um, let's pray and we'll dive in. Father God, I just ask in Jesus' name that you will help each one of us to be open to your spirit this morning. Father, speak to your people through your word. Father, I, I ask that everyone is, is fully, um, fully convicted by the spirit today, Lord. May we be guided by you. May we listen to you. May we respond in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So the background of today's message is really important because it, it kind of brings to light how dire uh, the situation actually is. So we're going to talk about that first. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about the siege against Samaria. That was the capital of Israel by the Syrian king, Ben-Hadad. This was, this was in about 848 B.C. And the passage describes uh, the situation inside the city. Now, this is kind of rated PG, so just be aware. Okay, if anybody needs to, your, your little kids. Um, it says, there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head 
was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That is a huge amount of money. And the fourth part of a cab, which is about a pint, of dove's dung was sold for five shekels of silver. Okay, that, that's how hungry the people were. Are you catching on? Okay. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king! And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the winepress? And the king asked her, What's your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard these words of the woman, he tore his robes. That was an expression of grief. These people were starving to death so much that, that they had resorted to infanticide and cannibalism, okay? And things were looking really bad for Samaria until some unlikely heroes enter the scene. That's where we are this morning. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. What are lepers? Big spotted cats, right? No? Did you say outcasts? Who said that? Good job. Yes, outcasts. They were, they were people with a terrible, with a, a communicable skin disease that made them ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, okay? And if you're ceremonially unclean, then that means you're an untouchable, essentially. And so they were treated uh, as, as, as just, you know, gross by everyone else. They only had each other for company, essentially. So it says, they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, well, the famine's in the city, We'll die there. And if we sit here, we'll die here. So, so the first apparent thing in this discussion is these lepers seemed to have a full realization of their condition. Okay? They weren't optimistic or pessimistic about it. They, they were just realistic. I mean, they already knew they were outcasts. They already knew that they were lepers. You know, they, they probably lived in a colony outside the city walls. And probably even the Syrian army stayed away from them because, one, they had nothing of value. You know, two, they were uh, contagious. Everybody knew it. So these four men already knew they were in a very humble state or condition. But the effect of not only the disease, but the famine also weakened them, excuse me, wakened them to their desperation. Okay, they realized they were in no position to be concerned about how they might be perceived by anyone else. You know, they were sick they were starving, and they were wretched. They knew they needed saving. How many of us can identify with that? So they're asking the obvious question in their desperate circumstances, why sit around and die? If we go into the city and stay here, we die, right? He says, so, so now, uh, come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. You know, so thumbs up. So um, they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And then even, even in the midst of starvation, you notice they weighed their options. Now, you, you could argue that they didn't really have any good options, right? I mean, but at least they had the presence of mind to think through whether there are any possible alternatives. You know, the, in most of the scenarios, the answer was definitely death. Okay? And so if what's behind doors one and two is definitely death, and then door three is, is probably death, then that's the one you pick. right? So that's what they did. Now, they considered their options, and then they took a calculated risk, which based 
on their understanding was the least risky option of all. Okay, now one could even argue that by deciding to turn themselves over to the mercy of their enemy, they actually walked in faith because they were trusting that by, by surrendering, by humbling themselves, the enemy might extend quarter to them. Now, I don't know if we're all tracking the same here, but I can certainly appreciate that perspective. You know, after all, when John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, he certainly captured the sentiment of many a Christian with the line that saved a wretch like me. Sinners whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, we realize that we are sick, desperate, weak creatures who are faced with a choice of our own. Try to hold out for righteousness of our own, which never comes, or cast ourselves on the mercy of a God who provides a righteousness that we cannot earn. When we submit to his gracious forgiveness and we, we trust in our former enemy to save us, we are walking in faith. Let's continue. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So after they realized the lepers, they realized their desperation, they went to the enemy for mercy, they next experienced the reception of God's grace. It was in more ways they could possibly have expected. I mean, can you imagine what it, it must have felt like for them to walk into that camp? I mean, I kind of picture them like, you know, like walking in with their hands up, looking around, expecting at least a century or something. But no, they're, maybe they're reflexively, you know, covering their mouths and shouting unclean because that's what they've been doing for the last few years. But whatever it was, they weren't expecting God to have preceded them on the way. God went ahead of them. And one great blessing for being a, a child of God is discovering in hindsight that he has been going ahead of you and preparing your way all along. In Deuteronomy 31, um, through the proxies of, of Moses and Joshua, God tells his people, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. See, the Lord was preparing to use these lepers in an astounding way, and he, he did so by opening with a miracle. He had the sound of this mighty approaching army and it scared off the Syrians. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. By, by the way, isn't it interesting that he didn't just wipe out the Syrians like he does some of the ar other armies that plague his people? I mean, it just it occurred to me, you know, there's one, another time he sends an angel to kill 185,000 of the enemy. This time he scares them off. He mercifully scared them away this time. I think it's interesting. Anyway, and when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and drank. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> they were hungry. You remember that movie, um, Alive, where there's that rugby team that gets stranded in the Andes and um, they find a, a suitcase that fell from a plane because they've been starving for, for days, even weeks. And this one has a, a tube of toothpaste in it. And one of the guys just grabs it and starts chowing down on it. And he's like, oh, this is delicious. You know, it, it's, we have no idea in this country what real hunger is like. None. Coming across this tent with food and drink would have been like the old cliche of beggars finding a feast. God was clearly involved in this scenario, and he preserved them. 
He afforded them protection from the enemy, and he saved their lives. Of course, any, any saint should be able to make the connection between these lepers and, and, and him or herself, right? In his great kindness, the Lord has preserved those who come to him in faith. Uh, the psalmist wrote, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And this promise with regard to the faithful in the Old Testament is actually echoed in the New Testament by Christ himself. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come unto judgment, excuse me, come unto judgment, but has passed from death to life. So the preservation of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, that was often a, a temporary one, but the preservation that his saints receive in both the Old and the New Testaments, this seems to be of the permanent kind, and we can be incredibly thankful for that instead of taking it for granted, amen? <laughs> we also see that God provided for them by meeting their immediate bodily needs. He provided sustenance, right? He got food and drink. Plus, we read in a moment that they got clothing. The tent was shelter. So everything they could possibly need was available. All, all the things that Jesus told his disciples they didn't need to be anxious about because God takes care of his people. But folks, can we agree that we have a different idea about what our needs are today? You ever been in a coffee shop when the Wi-Fi glitches? Panic ensues. Have you ever been marooned in the bathroom and your spouse left you a single square on the roll? A single ply. Some of y'all remember when indoor AC wasn't even really a thing. Like at church camp in 1980. Yeah. How did you survive? <laughs> yeah, you just survived. We, we've learned, we have a lot that we don't need, don't we? You know, we get accustomed to, to the creature comforts and having the latest technology. And, and, I mean, I have an iPhone 7 Plus, okay? And, and that, I know, and that's seven years old. But you know what? Compared to what I had 15 years ago, it's, I mean, we are so spoiled. We have so much technology, and, and yet we, we don't, we collect stuff. We collect stuff, but we don't need it. In fact, these lepers, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have climate control, but their, their initial response is pretty human, isn't it? Let's, let's keep reading. They went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. <laughs> they began hoarding the stuff that they'd found, and can't we identify with them? Think about that. What, what are these lepers planning to do with silver and gold anyway? They're lepers. And, and let's, let's really consider the situation. It's gotten dark. There, there are probably hundreds, even thousands of tents full of food and drink and wealth, and there's this huge number of people starving to death just on the other side of the wall. These people are ignorant of the fact that God had worked 
a great salvation for them. Praise the Lord that he spoke to the hearts of the lepers. Because after they looted that second tent, their consciences were pricked, and then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Let us therefore come. Let's go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, friends, this is an appropriate response to a spirit-led conscience for anyone made in the image of God, and more so the believer. In fact, this realization comes as a result of recognizing first their desperation and then that they themselves had experienced deliverance from God. Look at what they said here. Okay, they said, first, we are not doing right. We're not, we're not doing what is right. In other words, they had a conviction that they were doing wrong. Well, how? I mean, what was wrong about what they were doing? I mean, they're just looking out for old number one, right? Isn't that what we're all taught? Let this sink in, okay? I want you to hear what I'm about to say, brothers and sisters. Listen. They were hoarding mass quantities of wealth and resources for themselves, though they had access to more than they could ever possibly use, while just yards away, there were people who needed it to survive. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. They were hoarding mass quantities of wealth and resources for themselves, though they had access to more than they could ever possibly use, while just yards away, there were people who needed it to survive. They were keeping this wonderful blessing to themselves. And of course, they could have continued to do wrong at the expense of everyone else, but instead we see that they were convinced of what is right. We see it in their statement, this day is a day of good news. Of course, they seem to be more concerned about the potential of being punished, <laughs> either by God or, or someone else. But even, even then, a, shame, a, a shameful motivation that produces the right result you know, it's still not such a bad thing. As C.S. Lewis points out, God consistently appeals to mankind's self-interest, both with a carrot and a stick, doesn't he? It's okay. God doesn't expect us to be altruistic. He knows that we're fallen human beings, and so he gives us the promise of reward or the threat of curse. And we respond to that. These guys knew it was wrong of them to withhold the news of salvation for all the people. Would you agree that it was wrong, that they realized what they should do? I want to say this again. They knew it was wrong for them to withhold the news of salvation for all the people. How much more have we Christians been given the real, the true good news? that not only preserves lives, but preserves souls for eternity. The good news that we have been trusted with is the fact that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that He might live a perfect life 
and then die a perfect, atoning, sacrificial death to pay for our sins. And after this, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead after three days as a sign that he accomplished everything his father sent him to do. All of this was predicted in the scripture, and all of it was fulfilled exactly as God intended. That is the good news. And now as Paul said in Acts 17, God commands all people everywhere to repent. He wants everyone to turn away from their sin and turn to him in faith. And we have that message to give to the world. We know the truth. And we have access, we in this room, and especially in this nation, have access to far more resources than most of the world with regards to getting that message out. So with that in mind, let's let's see the last thing the Bible tells us about the lepers. It says, so they came and called the gatekeepers of the city and, and, and told them what? The good news that would potentially mean the salvation of the city. They, they went from hoarding all of the good stuff for themselves. Well, they, they probably weren't, you know, long for this world. They weren't going to be able to make use of it. To providing an opportunity to share that wealth with all these other people that were in desperate need. Are y'all getting this? I mean, th- this is beautiful. The characters in the story may be ugly, but the story is beautiful. They realize that they have more than they can use. And they give to those who are truly in need. I think it's instructive to us. But, but imagine, imagine, friends, if they, if they had just, if they had stopped with just being convicted of their sin, right, and then convinced of what they needed to do, but they didn't do anything else with it. Imagine if they had just ignored their consciences and kept on scrambling to save up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Instead, we see a conversion of behavior, which is how the world can see the heart of the convicted, convinced, and converted person. This is where the rubber meets the road. This this is... The big change, when a person goes from entirely self-interested to looking also to the interests of others, that is, that is the Christ-likeness that Paul refers to in the book of Philippians, chapters, uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 or so. It's, this is what every believer is called to. So I ask, where do you need to be convicted and convinced in your own walk? You know, maybe some of you have already been convicted and convinced about how you support missions like Glory Ministries. And maybe some of you are still wrestling with allowing the Holy Spirit to convert your behavior. Can I encourage you to surrender that burden to the Lord and let Him lead? Let Him lead. So before we take up a love offering for this precious brother's ministry, I want us to look at the epilogue of the story. Here's what the lepers say. They say, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied in the tents as they were. And then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get in the city. It's almost funny 
how God gives us a gospel that seems, it almost seems too good to be true, right? I mean, after all, isn't it someone else paying the price for, for our forgiveness? That's almost shocking when you really think about it. You know, people often respond with doubt, with skepticism at first, but, but thankfully, one of the king's servants was desperate enough and decided to give it a shot. Uh, and one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, remaining because the rest have been eaten, right? Seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who've already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So, a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And so this wonderfully happy ending of this story is that because the lepers made a sacrifice to bless others, that very night, the city was saved. I don't know where you're at today, and a lot of people here probably already thought ahead of time, and you were convicted by the Lord in how you wanted to bless Glory Ministries. And I, I am not trying to beat this drum for those of you whom God has already dealt with, but if there's anyone in this room that did not come prepared, or that's watching online, that did not come prepared to bless Glory Ministries, I don't want to guilt you, Okay. I just want to give space for the Holy Spirit to convict you if he's leading you. We're about to take up an offering for this brother and his ministry. We're going to watch a video of, uh, that he's got of, of kind of a slideshow of the kids that they work with as the plate goes around. And I, I just want to remind you, anything you give will be a blessing. Most of the, the prices and the costs in India are pennies on the dollar compared to here in the U.S., in other words, the cost of taking your family out to lunch today could literally pay for this missionary's rent for a month in southern India. Your one day's lunch. Okay? So just be aware of that. And whenever we help him, it gives him more room to preach the good news, the real good news without hindrance and provide for the needs of the desperate people in that place, people that are made in the image of God and they are both physically and spiritually destitute. They don't know the good news. You can make a difference. And I, wanna, I want to, to plant that seed in your heads today as we bow our heads to pray. And if the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit's leading you to get out your wallet or your purse or your money clip and scrape up some additional help, for this great mission in India, please listen to him. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that today you will soften our hearts to become more selfless. Help us to, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves and to look not only to our own interests but also to the interests of others. May you increase our love for you and our love for others. And may we open our hands in order to serve your purpose in blessing the needy, serving the least, and in spreading the gospel, reaching the lost. Give us a passion for sharing for those who need it most and a burning desire to pray for this great ministry and for Joyson and his family and for others who are part of it. 
And I pray that you will bless Joyson and his people through this offering and bless us with your eyes to see. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.